You're listening to The Film File, the podcast for film geeks by film geeks. And what's that? There's a signpost up ahead. Your next stop, The Film File. Hello and welcome to The Film File. I'm Lee Ford. I'm still Andy Beacon. And I've got this weird <laughs> sense of deja vu about this show. Is it Sunday already? It's been a bit of an odd week because I think we're both not got the doldrums, but I think we're both a bit on the uh, a bit on the old cream cracker side. Yeah, I've literally fifteen minutes before we started recording this, I woke up from the couch with a huge start. I was like, oh ah, and I had to come through and set up the room to invite Lee into a um, start recording because I just I, I can't stay awake. You know what uh, would have made that story even better is if you said I woke up on a couch. But it wasn't my house. <laughs> I mean, that's happened before. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I didn't. Where am I? But yeah, I, I, I'm. I think part like I'm, t- I'm so tired today. I, I'm finding it hard to stay awake, and I think most of it is I don't sleep very well anyway. And then every few weeks, my body catches up with me and tells me to shut down for 24 hours. And it's chosen today of all days, the day that I'm recording. So I'm struggling. I, I need to get, you know, when you get people, you see people getting matchsticks to hold their eyes open. That's what <laughs> that's what I need to do. So, um, I mean, you people at home only have to listen to this. Lee has to watch, watch me. Yeah, yeah. So every now and then he's going to see me just going and stretching my eyes open and looking like a giant owl. It's like some um, sort of cartoon event. I, I was <laughs> going to come down to the cinema and see you last night, but uh, I, I was shattered. I've had this... This cold has been kicking around where I'm teaching at the moment, and uh, it's really not not just me, but lots of people for for six, and uh, just can't seem to to shake it. I don't see it's not got any worse, but it's not got any better, and I'm just uh, just knackered all the time, which is not like me. I've even not been able to go to the gym, not been able to uh, went to rehearsals last night and struggled through rehearsals. So this is this is billion dollar alice is uh christmas when you think about it halloween is yeah. our busiest time of the year back-to-back gigs but no nope, wasn't feeling it i've not been feeling it as i said turned down coming down to see some movies last night which uh which is is not not me really but yeah. we're still here to make the show happen that's the we main are. thing Andy. Yeah. it's it's our duty it's it's our duty um i i got some good news as well this week oh well see it i've i've been invited to go down to banbury they're asking you back. Not not to work. They're asking me down oh, there right. to go and uh, celebrate, basically, because they're having the business managers and head office meeting down in Banbury later this month. And they've sent an invite over to me, not for the meeting section, but for the evenings, food, drinks and entertainment section as a thank you for all the support that you gave to the team. And, you know, for me, as soon as I got the news of that one, I was big beaming smile, really lifted my spirits after my past few weeks of feeling really yeah, you know, like you said, it's post-tour blues that have been suffering. Yeah, I, I thought you were going to start that sentence, Andy, by saying you've invited me down to Banbury for this event and I can bring a date. <laughs> I was almost mentally packing what I was going to wear. Sorry, but no, it, I'm, uh... I'm going down there to, uh, to see my team again because they're my team and they'll always be my team. Even when they get new team in there, I'll still call them my team and they'll go, who on earth are you? And I'll say, I'm your... <laughs> I don't know this guy. I'm your real dad. And they'll go, I've already got a real dad. <laughs> I'm so, your father. Have you really? Have you really? And I'll leave them having psychoses for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a quick mention, because we've not mentioned it for a while. Movie talk on Sunday. Yes. I, I drop in every now and then, but I always try and pass comment somewhere along the lines. It's phenomenal if you've not had chance to drop into the Twitterverse. And uh, I would urge 
any film geek to uh, to get involved. Andy, explain. Uh, yeah, I mean, I want to want to do the shout out because I've noticed that our subscribers has gone up a bit over the past few weeks. Uh, there's some new subscribers through a few of the um, podcast channels out there. Hi to you all. Hello. Hope Welcome. you're enjoying it. Um, so I thought it's about time that we reminded. <laughs> I just wondered if they're listening and going. I thought these guys talked about film. All they've done is <laughs> moan about their health for the last. We like to do this little personal bit just for just to connect with you guys out there. This is our connecting with you as an audience to let you know that we are human and uh, you can relate. Not to bots. Us. We're not bots. But movie talk on Sunday, aka hashtag MTOS, is something that runs every Sunday night on Twitter from eight pm UK time, and it's ten questions. One fires out every ten minutes about something about films and there's no right or wrong answers because it's just gauging opinions on films directors works etc etc and it's a great little community no one's judgmental unless someone ever says that paul blart Morkoff is a great film in which case never happen never happen it's it's a a, just a, a fun way to discuss your love of films and this month for october i've themed them and each of the weeks is going to be themed around a different horror franchise. By the time this show goes out, this current week's one that I've got planned will have already gone out, which is themed around the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. But I'm probably going to delve into things like the Friday the 13th franchise, the Halloween franchise, and maybe Scream. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I might pick a completely different franchise. I might, comp- I might pick Hellraiser. I might pick The Conjuring Texas Universe. Chainsaw. There's so many horror franchises out there. I've got a selection to pick from. And then, obviously, next October, we'll do the same. But, you know, we occasionally theme them. When it gets close to Christmas, we do a themed one. But other times, we're open to ideas. So if someone says, have you done a movie talk on such and such a director? If we haven't, we can easily make up the questions, and then we can talk about them. Um, It's a great bit of fun. Uh, If you like film in any way and you have nothing to do on a Sunday night, just log on to Twitter, do a search for hashtag MTOS, and follow the conversation. We're going to be theming our deep dives over the next couple of weeks as well to reflect yes. this uh, autumnal time of year, in particular. There's Halloween. something special about October. I'm not sure what it is. Um, it's a nice change in seasons. Isn't it, isn't, it, isn't it a Disney month or something? There's uh, lo- loads <laughs> of scary things on Disney. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to Werewolf by Night now that I've seen some of the reviews and seen uh, a few clips starting to uh, because I, I wasn't sure based on that initial trailer but now I'm, i am looking forward to it anyway what have we got in store for you on this week's show a whole bundle of stuff yes we're starting our deep dives into the horror movie world and we'll start our horror deep dives with the most probably famous of found footage films the blair witch project we've got neat things we've got so so much more But of course, before we start, let's take a look at this week's news and box office. So you've said, Andy, it's a quiet week. However, the cinemas are looking busier. And how does that reflect on the box office right now? So in the US this weekend, Smile went straight in to the top spot with 22.6 million. Um, knocking Don't Worry Darling down into second place. It only took 6.8 million in the US. It's up to about 54 million worldwide so far, which on a 30 million estimated budget means that it's well on target for hitting profits by the end of its run. The Woman King is in third place with 6.8 million. The Avatar re-release took another 5 million. And Bros, the new comedy from Judd Apatow, went in at number five with 4.9 million. 
here in the UK. Don't worry, darling, retain the hotspot, only having a 40% drop off, uh, taking 1.8 million this weekend. Smile went into second place with 1.5 million. Ticket to Paradise, 1.3 million, takes third place. Mrs. Harris goes to Paris, takes fourth place with 806,000. And the Avatar re release scrapes up another 735,000, taking it into fifth place. So I'm guessing we're not going to see anything of blockbuster capacity until Black Adam lands. Yeah, it's only a couple of weeks away as well. That's uh, Yeah, I've, I've uh, heard some word. Quick the word around studios that isn't positive right now, but we'll have to wait and see. Well, you have to realise is that, you know, there's a lot of word around um, Don't Worry Darling and that kind of done as... as yeah, yeah, as we've seen. As we've seen. don't care about what's going on in the studios. And yet we report on it in the news every week. It's going to be interesting to see what Halloween Ends does because they're doing that, releasing it straight to streaming at the same time in the oh, US. Right. And that might cripple its figures somewhat, but... I guess we'll find out. Find out whether horror, horror audiences prefer to be in a big auditorium or sat at home on their couch. I'm telling you, it's a shared experience. I think for great date movies, romantic movies and horror movies are the best date movies. Yeah. Okay, so what we got in the rest of the news? So let's start with Marvel. Oh, is that a busy Marvel week? It's been a fair bit of news getting dropped for Marvel this week. So let's start with uh, Feige, who's spoken about the decisions made around Wakanda Forever, and particularly the decision that was made to not recast T'Challa after the sad, sad passing of Chadwick Boseman. Feige's statement says, It just felt like it was much too soon to recast. Stan Lee always said that Marvel represents the world outside your window, and we had talked about how, as extraordinary and fantastical as our characters and stories are, there's a relatable and human element to everything that we do. The world is still processing the loss of Chad, and director Ryan Coogler poured that into the story. There were conversations about, yes, what do we do next? And how could the legacy of Chadwick and what he's done to help Wakanda and the Black Panther become these incredible, aspirational, iconic ideas continue? That's what it was all about. The film that, they've not, that they're going to be delivering on the 11th of November. Man, it's so close. It is. And, and we've only ever seen one major trailer. I know I know it's starting to, uh, to slide out with the amount of stills and imagery that, that's out there. But it still feels as though... It's not been hugely marketed yet. Not that I even think it needs to be hugely marketed no. yet. I think it's wiser for them to hold back on a lot of things and just let us be surprised when we see the thing. Uh, the film's going to take a deeper look into Wakanda itself, whilst also growing the world with the introduction of Namor, who here is no longer the ruler of Atlantis, but he's the Talochan instead. Well, they, they, I think they had to go that route because to non-comic book fans, they'll just... They'll have just said uh, Aquaman ripoff. Yeah, I mean, that, that's perfectly fair, is that, I mean, let's be honest, there was a lot of ripping off going on between DC and Marvel throughout the years, so there are similarities between most of their characters. The general public don't know who came first or who did what first, so, yeah, it's best for them to redesign the character. Uh, but the Talochans have been put into jeopardy after the reveal of Wakanda to the world at the end of the last film, and the actor portraying Namor, uh, Tenok Huerta, has also confirmed that Namor is a mutant. Oh, okay. I mean, they're slowly introducing this mutant idea. They did it with Ms. Marvel. And then I'm, I'm guessing that's going to lead into our other story at some point, talking of mutants and Marvel. You mean segueing into the Merc with the mouth has been revealed <laughs> that Deadpool 3 is definitely coming. Yes. In typical Ryan Reynolds, one-man marketing machine fashion, a video was released this week of him sat on his sofa to talk about how they couldn't release anything at D23 and teasing that Hugh Jackman will be popping up 
as Wolverine by, in the initial video... Yeah, because there were two. Um, Hugh walking in the background as Ryan says, uh, are you, do you fancy doing it? I was like, yeah, okay. I'm walking up the stairs. And just so casually, flippantly done with that wry smile that Ryan Reynolds has, it's coming. Deadpool 3 is coming. And we got a release date, 6th of September 2024. So we've now got something to look forward to. Oh, we've got, I've got reason to live now, Andy. I've got a reason <laughs> to live. It was confirmed even further the following day when they released another video of him and Hugh Jackman sat on the couch saying, look, we know you've got questions. Let's answer all your questions that you've got about how Logan can be in this universe and what's going on. And then as they start describing the plot of the film and reenacting some of the fights that they're going to be doing, music drowns out everything. So you cannot hear anything and they're just having fun. They're just mocking us all. They know that we want to know how this is going to work because there are questions like, is this going to be set in the MCU? Because if so, does that mean Wolverine is now in the MCU? And do we need Hugh Jackman to play Wolverine in the MCU? I'm betting not. Uh, You know, we've opened up the kind of multiverse, so uh, it, it fits better. It fits into the Fox multiverse, let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm speculating that this film is going to be used as a film that brings Deadpool by the end of it into the MCU. That this will take place primarily within the old Fox universe. And, and, yeah. and remember that Logan was set in the near future as well, so we can get over the idea that, hey, isn't he dead? Yeah, that's, one, that's the only thing that they gave us as actual information on that second video. It was like, you need to remember that Logan was set in 2029 or something. The fans have been wanting to see Logan and Deadpool on screen together for so long. Because there's that little rivalry on screen. But there's also Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds' jokey rivalry that they have off screen. That has just been an absolute joy over the past five years. (laughs) Do you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Eric and Ernie that in in some strange universe, they live in the same house. (laughs) And they hang out. It was just, uh, it, it just took me back to the Morecambe and Wise show. Uh, yeah. And, you know, to get Jackman back, I mean, hey, Disney've got all the money. So, it, yeah. And, and he's just at the stage now where he's got to do it before he gets too old. And what is easy in his 50s yet? So, yeah. You know, uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a nice little bit of inspired idea making. It, it, it's fan fulfillment, it's buddy fulfillment, them two working together. Uh, it made me smile. It made me smile big time. Yeah, it looks like a nice bit of joy. Um, there's disappointment from Marvel this week for those who are looking forward to Armor Wars series for Disney+. Plus. I say disappointment, but it's going to be a movie instead. That's interesting because it was going to spin off straight from the end of Secret Invasion as a, as a sequel. But clearly the ideas in it are so big that it, it's going to probably, spectacle-wise, uh, it's, it's going to be a movie. Yep. Um, as a result, it will move back a bit on the release schedule to allow for the movie production aspect of it, which will be a lot grander in scale than the TV shows have been. Uh, Don Cheadle will be returning as Rhodey. For those who don't know the original comic book, it tackled the idea of the Iron Man tech falling into the wrong hands. Now, whether the film is going to take the same approach, because we've seen how they change pretty much everyone of the storylines. Yeah. to take the idea of it. It's a starting point, isn't it? Because if they, if they do this for Armor Wars, didn't they do this for Iron Man 2? the tech falling into the wrong hands. So it'll just be retreading old ground film-wise. So I expect something different. Uh, the change of yeah. production came about because the studio was couldn't quite work out how to approach the story until they realised that it is actually better suited as a film rather than a, a, an eight to ten part limited series. Yeah, makes perfect sense, you know. And there's also there's been rumours that Harrison Ford was being considered for General Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross after the passing of William Hurt. There's no confirmation on these rumours at, at this point in time, 
whether he was offered it and he's turned it down or whether he is actually going to be cast. We'll wait until we get any confirmation on this. But after William Hurt passed away, obviously it was another one of the, do we recast, do we continue? And given the Thunderbolts TV series, you know, the Thunderbolts are kind of named after Thunderbolt Ross. It makes sense that they would find a way to find someone else to fill that role. We'll see and we'll find out more news. And then Blade. Yes. More disappointing news on this one because Blade has lost its director. Basim Tarek has dropped out of the project. Filming was supposed to have begun next month, but is now said to be pushed to early next year at the earliest. And in a statement, Marvel has said that due to continued shift in our production schedule, Basam is no longer moving forward as director, will remain as executive producer on the film. We appreciate his talent and all the work he's done in getting Blade to where it is. Now, the film was listed to be released November the 3rd next year. If it's not going to start shooting until early next year, that's going to jump off the jump into 2024, I reckon. Now, I'm suspecting that this is slightly now old news inside the uh, in, inside the business. I mean, it, it was reported five days ago. I mean, I'm suspecting this is a different story than, say, the John Watts story. So John Watts kind of pulled out, I, I think, burnout. He'd gone from three Spider-Man films and then, yeah. you know, what Marvel scheduling is like to dive into another big superhero project. I'm thinking the guy who's made them lots of money and, and probably made a, a truckload himself and just went, yep, you know what? I just need, I need to get out, get, get my foot out of the door for a little while and then decide whether I'm going to come back or not. I think with Basim Tarek, and this is only my take on it, he's a first-time director. And I think the pressures of delivering to that kind of schedule with that kind of production, gearing it in a certain way, uh, and if the script's not turning out as expected, then I mm. see it as they're doing the right thing for the project by either canning him or or letting him go, but keeping him uh, on side by making yeah. him a, a producer. Yeah, so um, who could we get to replace Basim Tarek then at this late stage? Thoughts? Couldn't even speculate at this point in time. Couldn't even speculate. I would go with if I had any part of the, the production process as a year, which clearly I haven't, <laughs> I'd have gone with David Leach, who brought us Bullet Train. Yeah, it's, it's got a dynamic energy. Yeah, that would have been my choice. If you want to keep it a black director. Well, let's stick with Bullet, shall we? And go for The Bullet or James Samuel, who gave us uh, The Harder They Fall. Yeah, good choice. Yeah, I, th I think he's got the right kind. Of, I mean, Harder They Fall has the right kind of essence of cool to it yeah. that the Blade universe should also have. So, uh... I'm less worried because I think Marvel will always pull it out of the bag. Now. Yeah. Uh, with the right director, doesn't mean that they can't, you know, it doesn't mean that director's got to uh, uh, worry about those release dates because uh, uh, with the right director and bringing on a, um, somebody with more more previous experience of delivering to time and to budget, I think, you know, uh, I, I still think they can hit those deadlines. Yeah. You mentioned about the scripts not quite being right. And it was only reported a few weeks ago that Moon Knight scribe Bo DiMeo had been hired, not just to touch up the script, but to completely rewrite it. So it has been a problem script to get right, which mm -hmm. has caused all these delays, which has led to a change of director. There's got to be a, there's got, got to be a rejigged MCU timeline dropping sometime in the new year now, because there's so many productions that are getting affected one way or the other, that their optimistic timeline that they re only revealed a month ago 
was maybe a bit too optimistic. Kind of tied in. Meanwhile, over at Paramount, the stealing of director Matt Shackman by Marvel for Fantastic Four seems to have really scuppered the plans for the Star Trek sequel. Mm, yeah, I'd heard that. Um, uh, it's now been uh, taken off the table. So yep, speak. it's vanished completely off the release slate. I mean, the film was planned for release next December, which was looking less and less likely without a director attached. And it was it would have needed to have started shooting pretty much this month. So the vanishing off the current release schedule kind of isn't unexpected until they can get creatives back on board again. I don't think they'll have any date listed. It's not been cancelled. Apparently, as far as we know, the cast of Chris Pine, Zoe Saldana, Carl Urban, Zach Quinto, John Cho and Simon Pegg are still attached to the project if it ever gets out of space dock. But at this point in time, without a director, ain't nothing moving forwards on this film. Uh, That is disappointing, more so than the Blade news for me. Yeah, I was quite looking forward to seeing that that team reprise their roles for the fourth film. Yeah, I feel Star Trek doesn't get the attention it deserves on the big screen and and Mm. it always disappoints me when they underperform. But that's because I'm a Trekkie and I can't understand why other people don't like my techno babble. But um, Beverly Hills Cop 3 has added the great Kevin Bacon to the cast. Yeah, I can do. I can do seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. I'm not going to do it now, but but I can do it. (laughs) Uh, The fourth entry in the Axel Foley franchise, uh, which is being made by Netflix, has now added Kevin Bacon to the cast, joining, of course, Eddie Murphy, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I didn't realise Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in there. Taylor Page, Judge Reinhold, John Aston, Paul Reisner and Bronson Pinchot. Uh, no plot specifics are known at this at this point in time. Hopefully it can just tap into that fun and energy of the first film. Maybe not so much the second film and definitely not the third film. It's strange how I'm kind of excited about a franchise that I only like one out of three films so far. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been big news. Sony Pictures is to reboot uh, Tarzan with what they say is a reinvention of the iconic character. Mm. So we know that, that Tarzan can now... We can look back on it and think it could be considered uh, problematic. The, the, it's been around since 1912. There have been many, many incarnations of Tarzan. Some that have played up the great white hope, uh, the noble savage look, derogatory racial and gender stereotypes, mm. which are, are no longer acceptable. So interesting to see what they do with this. There's no cast. There's no director. There is just this this premise of a... Tarzan reboot. There was a, a version that came out a couple of years ago, which wasn't too bad. It just lacked a bit of scope. That uh, was directed by David Yates, starred Alexander Skarsgård and Margot Robbie. It did everything right. It just it just didn't find an audience. So they're going to have to do something incredibly different with Tarzan to appeal to a modern audience. If Marvel are listening, I still have my Kazar script firmly up my sleeve, ready to go at any time. Marvel just just call with Tarzan. My favourite on-screen adaptation of all time is always, always Greystoke, yeah, The Legend it. of Tarzan with Christopher Lambert. Absolutely brilliant take on the character. And I think that managed to avoid the white saviour tropes. Yeah, That was a, a reinvention. So anyone who's starting to moan about why they're reinvent, reinventing classics, already happened a few decades ago. Just accept that it's going to happen again because the Tarzan books are very, very problematic. But anyone they are. Them, time capsules of when yeah. they were written. And colonialism was a big part of what the British Empire was about. And speaking of uh, apes, apes together strong, eh? Oh, yes. Kingdom of the Planets of the Apes is the revealed title of the next film in the Planets of the Apes franchise. And it is genuinely the next film. It's not a reboot. It's not a remake. It's sticking with the storyline of the last three films 
and it's going to pick it up years later to see the world that has become the Planet of the Apes, basically. It's the kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Just just the image that got released of oh, yeah. an I was ape so in. mounted on a horse with all the ruins behind it of a city. And I was like, this is it. I mean, Wes Ball, who gave us Maze Runner. I've got some love for the Maze Runner services. I think he... Yeah, especially the first one. Yep. On the second and third one, the visual wilderness and the decimated cities approach. He's got the aspects to be able to do that. I'm looking forward to this so much. I mean, we'll talk about the Apes films as a future deep dive, probably in November, because I've recently rewatched all of them. Every last one of them. But I'm so looking forward to it. I'm a huge fan of the Planet of the Apes franchise. Yep. Shooting, we talked about this, uh, our excitement for it. Shooting begins next month, and it's set for a release sometime in 2024. Apes Together Strong. And Freya Allen and Peter Macon have also joined the cast. Fingers crossed on this one. It's going to be my film of 2024 at this rate. Quick news on shooting on a film that we've been kind of intrigued with and want to see how it comes out. We're huge fans of the original. We did speak about it ages ago in a deep dive. The Crow reboot has finished shooting. Oh my goodness. We never thought it would ever get there. Yep. It's finally coming. It's definitely happening. Uh, the new take on the comic book about Eric Draven, who's killed and resurrected by a crow, setting about getting revenge. We'll see Bill Skarsgård, FKA Twigs and Danny Houston star. And I'm intrigued. I think that there's potential for them to bring a new version of The Crow. I don't think it's necessary because the old version stands up so well. But I'm not going to deny them the possibility that this could actually work as a film. Talking of comic books, uh, Grendel, which was highly anticipated as a Netflix series. Well, it's not going to happen. The Dark Horse adaptation, after shooting nearly an entire season, Netflix has pulled the plug. Yeah, it seems strange now because take it back five years and any comic book project went straight to screen and it was getting done. But I think we're starting to get to the stage that we've been expecting. Oversaturation. Come. Yeah. And so now they're being very particular. And so if something doesn't quite look like it'll work, they're not taking risks on it. And we know that Netflix are pulling back on their spending after their financial reports of this year. Something was going to fall by the wayside. And as much as I love Grendel, it's not a very well-established character and it's a bit of a risk. So I can kind yeah. of understand it. But we are at that stage now where there's, there's oversaturation and we're seeing comic book properties kind of being chopped. Well, you see uh, things like Jupiter Legacy didn't make it past uh, yeah. season one. We saw the, uh, movies like Vin Diesel's Bloodshot yep. not draw any attention. It just comes down to the big two, as in it used to be dominated in by by the comics. That is the, the two big ones, DC and Marvel. Yeah, and I and I've still got got doubts that we will go back to the halcyon days of you know uh, Avengers Endgame time for for those big numbers. But let's wait and see. I tell you what, I'm not. I'm looking forward to waiting and seeing because hopefully it's good news. Community is finally happening. Six seasons in a movie and the movie. I mean, yeah. We speculated on the rumours that this might happen a few months ago when there was some social media posts going out hinting at the possibility. Well, it was confirmed this week, initially by Joel McHale, who posted out a social media message simply stating dot, dot, dot and the movie. And that was followed by Peacock confirming the reveal and Sony, who produced the show, also announcing that the movie is happening. Most of the original cast are expected to return. The only exceptions at this point in time are Chevy Chase, who is, no. is probably unlikely to return, given um, the relationship he had with various people in the production and on set. Um, Yvette Nicole Brown still hasn't signed up, and Donald Glover is still an uncertainty. 
it, it's only really community for me if the entire cast from the first few seasons are there because they were the halcyon days. Yeah, but Dan Harmon will serve as writer and producer and the director is currently being scouted to bring us finally. It's, it's got to be the conclusion because once they've done the movie, they can't do any more because it was always six seasons in the movie. But just to yeah. get this movie, it's just great to have such completion on what was just a simple joke about the Cape TV show. And if anyone ever watched any episodes of the Cape, they will know how hilarious that joke was because there was no re- no way that was even going to one full season. Marvellous. <laughs> Can't wait. Hey, I, no one ever saw this coming. A dance adaptation of The <laughs> Matrix directed by Danny Boyle. Is somebody on drugs? I thought I'd transported into a, a separate universe when I read this news. It was like, this, this can't, no. Are we making everything musicals now? I mean, at the end of the day, it can't be any worse than the last Matrix film was. <laughs> but I, I've, I've said before about my feeling on musicals based on films, and I don't, I don't generally truck with them. No matter how many people tell me the Back to the Future musical is great, I've got no mm, interest in it. I've heard the same. I've got no interest in it. I, I prefer musicals to be an original idea and come from themselves rather than you're trying to make songs up around famous lines from films and forcing it out there. I don't, I, it doesn't truck with me. I've got no no time for any musicals that are based on films. And to be honest with you, I've got no time for anything to do with The Matrix at this point in time. That last film has really diminished my love of the franchise. I think I think there's no future for it. No, I don't think we'll ever go back to uh, The Matrix now no. unless, until it's rebooted completely. Yeah. The Matrix reboot. Let's kind of link off from that because it was Warner Brothers who gave us The Matrix. So over at the struggling Warner Brothers, who are having decent success with Don't Worry Darling at the moment, Warner Brother Discovery International's chief, Gerhard Zeller, has announced at a keynote address in RTS London that the big franchises of Potter, DC and Thrones are the priority for the studio going forward, which... Let's be honest, it comes as no shock, given the desperate need for the studio to generate strong revenue to offset their ever-mounting debts. Um, He's also doubled down, and this is good news for cinemas, he's doubled down that the studio is going to focus on cinema distribution. Everyone who believed cinema is dead has been proven wrong, and will be proved wrong in the future. The theatrical business is here to stay, although, of course, the pandemic changed things. So they are targeting to keep releasing things to the cinema. Something like Don't Worry Darling probably could have settled onto streaming without a big like hoo-ha, but they were committed to the cinema. And I like this. It's the only thing that I do like about Warner Brothers Discovery at the moment, but I do like this. On the back of this, after the cutting of Batgirl and the boxing it off and deleting all evidence that it ever existed, there was worry for the other lesser profile DC productions that may see similar fates. But apparently, Blue Beetle is safe. Director Angel Manuel Soto has said, I'm not going to lie, there was concern, anger, fear at first. But he then adds that studio executives have reassured him that the film won't suffer the Batgirl fate. He says, they told me not to worry. The film has their full support. So I I think they finished with all their cutting and their severing and their destroying for tax reasons. It's gone past September. So everything that's on the table now should stay on the table. Including, as we mentioned uh, last week, the one that we never saw, on our bingo cards, a, a Constantine sequel. Yes. However, on the flip side with Warner Brothers Discovery, they are facing a class action lawsuit from investors and shareholders after reports revealed that they had been less than truthful about the HBO Max subscription rates before the merger. Um, sources say the company inflated the subscriber base by around 10 million subscribers using, for example, People who had signed up for a service somewhere and got a free subscription to HBO Max 
but had never activated it as part of the numbers. Oh, well, we gave them the code just because they've not used it. They might use it one day. Now, this bolstered the value of the company at the time, whilst also broke various market laws. It's very likely that there's going to be some kind of a payout to all the people in the class action. And the people who are going for the class action are inviting everyone who's invested in the company since the merger to also join in, saying that their gripes will still be valid because they joined afterwards based on all this information. So they've invested in the company for false reasons. Zaslav himself is named in the lawsuit as one of the defenders because apparently the discovery side of it knew everything that was getting manipulated. They were inflating their own market value to get more investors after they'd linked up. We'll see how this goes on. But I know with class action lawsuits like this, this could be three years before this ever comes to fruition. So don't expect this to be Amber Herded to completion within the next year. Uh, is that a thing now? Amber Herded? Amber Herded is that what it is? Yeah, you, you rush things through to court and make a discre- make a mess of yourself. Um, Zaslav has also responded to the Comcast buyout news recently and has said that as far as he's concerned, the company is not up for sale and Comcast will not be buying them. Whether that will change as it gets closer to that 2024 March date that the deal could happen, we'll find out. But he seems quite keen that Warners have enough strong material to recover from their bad financial position at this point in time. Well, I've got a bit of TV news for you. Jack Ryan season three is returning to Amazon Prime, as does John Krasinski in the lead role. And this, I don't even know if we we mentioned, but uh, Lisa Kudrow is going to be starring in a Time Bandits TV series. Yay! Brought to you by Taiki Watiti. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a Time Bandits TV series. I know it's been mentioned for ages, but I didn't know it had got to the stage that Taiki Watiti was involved. It's one of those ones that's been rumoured so much that you kind of just blanked out any rumours from that point onwards because... Like a Fargo TV series years back. There were yeah. so many try- attempts to get Fargo onto TV and then they then it just turned up and was marvellous. I'm there for a Time Bandits TV series. I am well and truly there. As long as they can tap into that Python-esque humour and uh, deliver it in such a wacky, weird way. Uh, do you remember the, I- I'm sure you remember, the Anthony Hopkins starring movie Magic, which was directed by Attenborough? I do, I do. It was uh, very spooky. Not as spooky as it could have been, mm. but it was, a, it was a pretty interesting film. And I think the main problem with it was Sir Richard Attenborough not directing that kind of, of material. It was a great character study, but it, it, it lacked chills. Well, what if a director such as Sam Raimi had his eye on it? Well, in that case, sir, you've answered my my key problem with the movie. It needs a horror director. <laughs> yes, the the film, for those who don't know, is about a ventriloquist with mental issues who's at the mercy of his foul-mouthed dummy. Producer Roy Lee, who was behind the scenes on It, Doctor Sleep and the recent hit Barbarian, spoke recently to say that Sam Raimi has got his eyes on a remake. I've only worked with Sam as a producer on films. Actually, the first time I'm going to work with him as a director is on a remake of Magic, which is something that we're working on now. We're just actually hearing the final versions of the different takes from the writers next week. Sam loved the original movie and the book that was written by William Goldman. Oh, yeah, of course it was. Yeah, it was a Goldman book. Yeah, so, it, yeah, it's got good credentials in there. And I, I agree with you that the film itself was creepy, but didn't quite tap enough into the horror kind of side of it. And like you say, it's because Attenborough. Attenborough's not a horror director. No. It became a character study. And, it, and it, you know, it's not a, a bad character study, but it, it, it didn't live up to its potential. Saying that, 
Hopkins was fantastic in it and actually learned to be a ventriloquist for the role. That's absolute commitment. And then no doubt he went round and used his ventriloquism to play jokes on people at parties. because uh, that's Which I would I do. Was. I would, all the time. Robert Eggers, there's a name that immediately makes me interested in a film. And when that film is a remake of Nosferatu, then I'm brimming with excitement already. Uh, so when you're adding Bill Skarsgård and Lily Rose Depp to the initial cast, that's more than my heart can take, and I am ready to explode at Robert Eggers' next film. Because as we mentioned, this got pulled. Yep. And it's now looking as though it's back. Yep, it's now back on track. It's been a long-desired project for Eggers. He's going to write and direct the gothic tale of obsession, following a haunted young woman, played by Rose Depp, who's stalked by the ancient vampire, played by Skarsgård. And uh, uh, let's be honest, Bill Skarsgård probably doesn't even need any makeup to play that role because he looks <laughs> he looks perfectly creepy and sinister as it is. Don't tell him. He'll upset him. Yeah, it will upset him. And he'll he'll crawl back into his fridge. Ruben Fleischer, who gave us Venom. Oh, dear. And Uncharted. Okay, I'm back mm, on board. Okay. Is set to pick up the f- heist film franchise, Now You See Me, for a third film. Yeah, heard that. Uh, Seth Graham Greene is penning a new draft of the script. And Jesse Eisenberg and Woody Harrelson are confirmed to be returning. It's unclear whether any of the rest of the team will return. But come on, we've got to at least see Morgan Freeman, Mark Ruffalo, Lizzie Kaplan or Isla Fisher, depending on which one they want to go with this time. I enjoyed both the Now You See Me films. I, I enjoyed the first one, I'll be honest. I, I thought it was there was a twist too far with it. Uh, you know, spoiler territory, it's been out 10 years or so. <laughs> Uh, there was there was one twist too far, and it took me out of it. Up until that point, I'd been well into it. I'm there for a third take on magic-related heist movies. Let's see how it pans out. And are you ready for more pie? Indeed. Well, a new American Pie film has been announced. Really? Yes. Wow. It's a, it was 2010 when the reunion came out, wasn't it? Got to have been a while ago. I, I, I got lost after, I think, the second one. I think that was it for me. I had too much pie. I'd overindulged. Uh, Sujata Day has been hired to pen the script, which is described as a fresh take on the material. The story is under wraps, but Day is apparently a big fan of the style of comedy of the franchise and is hoping to make it not fall into this modern era. We can't do that. and We can't be piece to PC. She still wants to tap into that like, kind of shock approach of comedy, which I, I feel I feel there's still room for within reason. As yeah. long as it avoids the more problematic aspects that that comedy can raise, I'm all for it. So finally, uh, James Earl Jones. It's a story that's been out a good week or so. And the chap's getting on somewhat now. But he's basically given his voice to Lucasfilm to be used uh, in any upcoming Star Wars film. So he's he considered himself retired, doesn't want to do it anymore. And in fact, he's not done the last few appearances. They've taken his voice and now can manipulate it in uh, in a computer to to get him to say while sounding like James Earl Jones anything that they want it's an amazing bit of technological trickery and what's more interesting about it is the company who who do it aren't a part of Lucasfilm they were, they were mm. a, a small company of, of basically fans in Ukraine a bit like the guy who joined on to do the de-aging of, uh, of Mark Hamill for uh, The Mandalorian, who was a regular kid who just said, I can do this better. And this is what the, these guys do. But the interesting enough, these guys were in Ukraine finishing the work as they were trying to get out of the country. So there's two elements to this story. But this idea now that you can pass on one of your attributes and technology will 
keep it going. And that's what James Earl Jones has decided to do, is to let Darth Vader not be recast and have his voice presence in there electronically. But there's been there's been another story connected to something similar. Yes. Now, this was news that was getting talked about earlier this week to no end, and it literally got debunked within the last 24 hours. News broke after the James Earl Jones digital voice thing that Bruce Willis had sold the rights to his digital likeness to a deep fake company called Deep Cake. And it looks like this might have just been a complete hoax that the UK paper, The Telegraph, fell for. The report had it from The Telegraph that the selling of his rights would allow the use of a digital twin of Willis to be used in future screen projects so that Bruce Willis could still be on screen, played by a different actor with um, deep fake technology, reverted him back voice and image wise all perfect, you wouldn't know the difference. Whether you'd actually want to have someone lumbering through a film looking bored and like they're only there for the paycheck, I don't know. I don't know if there's a market for that. (laughs) Um, But this weekend, the BBC has reported that a spokesman for Willis has denied that he has any kind of partnership or agreement with this company. And as they says, Bruce couldn't sell anyone any rights. They are his by default. So it sounds like the UK Telegraph needs to do some journalistic integrity a bit and research before you start publishing something that you may be read on Reddit. <laughs> and that, folks, is the news for this week. So, if you're new to the film file, and yes, we know that some of you are, then what we suggest is you subscribe. How do you do that? Quite simply, you head over to your favourite podcast platform, find the film file, subscribe, hit a like button, and drop us a line. Hey, why don't you drop us a line? Because you can do quite easily by doing any of these things you can head on over to twitter you can follow us at film file uk and get involved in any discussion that goes on on there including the movie talk on sunday you can head over to other social media platforms search for film file uk click a follow every time there's a new episode drop or any video content there'll be a post on there to let you know or you can get in touch with us directly via email podcast at filmfile.uk is where to send your thoughts suggestions ideas anything at all you want to get in contact with us for anything fire us that email over we'll get back to you as soon as we can you can also find us every week on no barriers radio that's nobarriersradio.com for the film file on your radio every thursday eight o'clock and now it's time for this week's deep dive we're going to be talking about a film that's credited as reviving the found footage film we're going to be talking about the 1999 American supernatural film that became something of a phenomena, the Blair Witch Project. That either. And it's not because of me that we're here now. <laughs> Hungry and cold and hunted. I just want to apologize to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. <laughs> The Blair Witch Project came out in 1999, written and directed and edited by Daniel Mayrick and Eduardo Sanchez. Believe it or not, it's a fictional story. Three student filmmakers, Heather, Michael and Josh, hike into the Black Hills near Maryland to film a documentary about a local legend. That local legend being the Blair Witch. The three disappear, but their equipment and footage are discovered some years later. The purportedly recovered footage is the film that the audience sees. 
grossing nearly $250 million worldwide. This became one of the biggest, most successful independent films of all time, as well as one of the most profitable horror films. This is what we consider to be a sleeper here. Why does the Blair Witch work? Why is it done better and more convincingly than any other found footage film? Why, Andy? Why? This was a phenomenon when it first came out. It's, it, it's hard to explain to people who weren't there at the time how much of an impact that this film had worldwide, and particularly during its US release. There was reports about people fainting in the screen, people screaming, people running out of the auditoriums, unable to watch anymore. And it wasn't because, like, shaky camera of motion sickness. It was because people believed it was real. And that was all because it was the quite early days of, like, the WWWs, the World Wide Web was just really becoming something that everyone was latching onto. And the filmmakers took advantage of this to complete their marketing. This was a, a low-budget film. This only cost them about 60000 to make. Quite a cheap production, but the marketing that they did, they sowed the seeds of this film well in advance of the film coming out. They created websites that had fake news reports about missing children from the late 60s or Mysteries of the Blair Witch. They had fake links to being able to buy books on the myth of the Blair Witch. They had doctored photos. They had as much detail as you could. And this was a time when you you didn't have Google to be able to search, which has great like little bot trackers and algorithms to be able to like work out what's real and what isn't. This was a very early internet where you're using things like Ask Jeeves, and that was garbage. So whatever you, whenever you search for Blair Witch you would find, as the top results, some of this fake information that they sowed out there, and it's presented to you as though it's real. And so it was easy before this film came out, if you was like, what's the Blair Witch about? If you're online, you go online, and you find out, oh my God, all oh, this is real. These people really went missing. And the icing on the cake with this was that the IMDB, that was still in its early years at that point in time, the Internet Movie Database, had the cast who their characters used the actual actors and actresses' names, so it's all real. They were listed as missing, presumed dead on the IMDb for a year, up until about, I think it was after the film had been out for six months was when someone went, hang on a minute, I've just seen them in an interview, and they got it changed. But they, they convinced the world, particularly in America. We had six months to wait before it came out in the UK. Yeah, which I think... it, it diminished it by the time we got it. But the American audiences, when you when you watch the film, taking into the idea that they went in and the message on screen telling you that this was the found footage that was being compiled together. If you take, watch the film from that approach and go, what if this was real? Man, it's really disturbing. What makes this film so effective is, is the guerrilla filmmaking style. Um, somebody was going to do it and somebody was going to do it this well. The idea that the actors themselves used high eight camcorders mm. as well as a little bit of uh super eight they were embedded into the woods and the cast themselves didn't quite know what was going to happen they were given their next location as a series of clues through uh, messages hidden inside 35 million millimeter film cans uh, which were left in milk crates that they found and with global positioning satellite systems. And they were given instructions to use and to help the, them improvise what they were doing during that, that, that day. So the fictional characters, all the three actors use their real names in the film, kind of embedded themselves and started to believe 
and started to feel as though they were uh, part of something else. And, and mm. those performances come across amazingly well because after a while, when they're looking tired and bedraggled and getting peed off with the entire situations because they were doing, in fact, Heather Donahue kind of regretted it later in life and sort of disappeared away from, from acting afterwards. You know, they, they created an environment for the actors to sort of ad-lib and, and took advantage of it. It was, uh, silly enough, just a stroke of genius. It was all about the timing. Yes, there'd been other found footage films, uh, notably Jersey Devil. Yeah, you could go back to 1980s Cannibal Holocaust, or yeah. even, even just a year before Blair Witch came out, the last broadcast delivered a very similar approach to found footage, but wasn't as successful. Uh, and the fact that they they shot footage in the town where the documentary is set with interviews with non-actors, which were interspersed with with uh, interviews with actors. So it has that mise-en-scene of feeling incredibly, incredibly real. And the fact that they made this for next to nothing. And then once it was seen, they sold the rights for a million dollars to Artisan and the rest is, is history. So final film cost about 35000 to $60,000, allegedly. It's a fascinating film to revisit. And first watching, I watched this on the UK release, so I already knew that it was fake. Yeah. But I, I was like early days of me having a computer at home. So before the film, I'd done all the research into the, the false law, the history and everything. So as moments are playing out on screen, it's referencing something that I've read up about. I got why it was so terrifying and i thoroughly enjoyed it i thought it was a cracking film that it's interesting for given that the three members of the cast were basically also cameramen at the same time they yeah, they've they got had to learn that to learn their craft didn't they they had to learn some beautiful a, framing a, a camera work it's almost perfect cinematography whilst at the same time feeling like amateur filmmaking at the same time it's well presented the interactions between the cast and given that they had no clue as to where the, where the film was going until every morning when they got those notes that you referred to, saying, like, you know, this is going to happen, you need to go to this, da, 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 da. and each of them would get individual secret notes on, at some point you do this, at some point you act in this way, in order to create tensions with the group, all aided by the fact that they weren't allowed to sleep because the, um, the film crew would... Uh, you know, set things up during the night and also shake their tent and rattle them and stop them from being able to get any rest. So by the end of the week of production, they were on edge and they were like genuinely terrified. And you get that genuine terror. Heather Donahue has said that she regrets using her own name in the film because it kind yeah. of got in the way of her getting more work afterwards. And she's kind of just like, she's done a handful of projects over the years, but never really been the big name that she possibly could have, could have been. But in this film, she sells every moment of it. Yeah. And when you get to that, and it's interesting watching this with the with the commentary on because th they point out something on the scene, the very famous scene with the close up of the top part of her face as she's like really losing it, and they say it's it's very brave for an actress to go for that kind of shot, and this was a shot that she decided to do herself because she was filming herself and yeah. knowing that you know she's got she's got mucus dripping, you know she's looking not her best. And it just makes it so real. And even though I knew it wasn't real, it made me in the audience start to believe it. And it it's the perfect found footage film, as far as I'm concerned. It spawned a found footage genre that followed, which has been done to death, particularly by things like the Rex series and the Paranormal Activity series. But 
it still stands up really well. And rewatching this this week, I was surprised at how well how well paced the whole thing was. It, it plays in. A, a, yes, you're absolutely right. It's an innovative film. It's it's imaginative. It, it's it's clever in every way how it manipulates the audience and manipulates the audience with that fear of of the dark, what we can't see, and and this is why sometimes low budget really really can excel in a way that big budget horror films yeah. uh, sometimes fail at by being imaginative, by sh- not showing you by how noises in the dark are ultimately scarier than a CGI monster. And the fact that we are left inconclusive as if, as though this was a real documentary at the end as to what happens. It's, uh, it's an assault on the senses. Of, you mentioned early on that some audience members experienced uh, motion sickness while watching the, the camera jiggle around. But that all adds to the techniques uh, of the movie and it kind of reinvents what was scary for a, for a long while. Now, if found footage hasn't been done and I don't think could ever be done as well as this to make you feel as though you believed it. And, and yeah. as, of course, the initial success was it, it was so believable. It has since as well spun off into books. There's tie-in books that explore the myths of the Blair Witch. There's ones that explore the true story, which isn't the true story, but it's the true story within universe. Uh, there's comic books that have been released. There's video games and there's been sequels. The sequels so far, very mixed bag. Number two was... Um, a redoctored script for something else. <laughs> was Had some... Yeah, yeah. I know what. There's, there's a couple of scripts out there. There was some, some scripts which were a lot cleverer than what actually became uh, the, the second film. I, I didn't mind Blair Witch when it came out, but it felt it felt we'd been there and yeah. there was no need for it. I, I think the the third film, Blair Witch, I think that should have been the second film. Yes. And it would have yeah. really jumped on the coattails of the first film well and felt relevant. But it was set so much later and then it's just basically you're retreading the same thing that it was maybe too little too late. It was a beautifully yeah. put together film and it had some genuinely creepy moments and we got to see the Blur Witch itself. But it didn't really do much to catch us off guard this time. And I think it's because there's been too many found footage films in between that now it just felt like it was hitting all the typical beats. But as you said, it launched uh, so many found footage films, some which were hugely successful uh, and many sort of didn't. I mean, we got Paranormal Activity and everything that, that came from that. Again, first film worked really well. The uh, The original wreck was pretty good. Cloverfield, I guess you could in- yeah. include in that. Troll Hunter. Yeah. The Last Exorcism, which was, wasn't too bad. End of the Watch played uh, with found footage, but did it in a, an entirely different genre. Yeah. But nothing, nothing quite works like Blair Witch because, as we said, while it wasn't the first, it was the first to sort of come up with something that had this sense of believability. Now, uh, I know that films like The Last Broadcast are, are, are very similar, as was uh, Jersey, Jersey Devil. But there is something about Blair Witch, which is why it's entered into the world of legend, is that we all, at some point, when we first heard about it, if we'd not known, mm-hmm. kind of got, got brought into it. And that changed the dynamic between what was happening on the screen and what was happening with the audience. And, and that was an, a, a unique moment in time. Best viral marketing campaign of all time, utilising the early internet in such a great manner 
to sell a film that would have been a, a tough sell otherwise. A great example of a film to go and revisit or watch it for the first time and then take in all the additional material that's connected to it. The DVD release has some great extra features on there to delve into it a bit more and you get to understand why this had such an impact at the time. There's been talk of a new instalment of the Blair Witch Project. Uh, apparently there's one currently in development at Lionsgate. As to whether we need another Blair Witch movie, going to have to go with no. It's going to have to do something incredibly unique. And I honestly think that time has passed. Yeah. And if we want to see the Blair Witch Project, if we've not seen it, where can we find it? Uh, it's not available for free on any services at this point in time, but you can rent it from pretty much all streaming services. Or just go and pick up a copy of the DVD or Blu-ray, because that way you get all the extras, and the extras are well and truly worth watching, as well as listening through the film with the commentary on to get some insight into their filmmaking techniques. And now it's time for this week's reviews. So we've got a whole bunch of reviews, and as we move into Halloween, got a couple of horror films quickly though andy I, I i should have mentioned this before hocus pocus 2 which i sadly had to sit through uh, oh, on movie night. <laughs> so uh 29 years after the sanderson sisters were last seen and probably best left they returned to salem as virgin becca lights another black flame candle and releases them to cause more havoc yep so choreographed dance routines magic Plots to murder children. Three actresses now who should know better and are now so past their former glories that it feels that 29 years later for this sequel basically recreates the same beats of the last film. And I'm not a big fan of the last film. So to be honest, I was bored out of my, my brain. I don't have much love for the original film. I think it's okay. The reason that this has been brought on and put together for a, a, a Disney Plus is nostalgic cashing. It's as simple as that. Yeah. There's not much in the way of, of joy for it. They get a bit of a prologue uh, that sees the sisters uh, a lot younger. We see them that they're unrepentant for their love of eating children. But you know what? We don't care. It's all very pantomime -y. They give it their best go, Midler, Najimni and Parker. And they seem to be having a good time for it. The young leads are, are likeable, but it's just a nostalgia game. And that's it. The plot's all over the place. It lacks, if anything, the elements of surprise that the original had. Can we say it's good? It's better left buried. <laughs> yeah, I've got no interest in uh, watching that. I hated the first film. Then you will hate this one even more. Completely off my radar. What have you got for us? What I have seen this week. So at the cinemas, the horror film Smile released to uh, smiling audiences. What happens when you see it? It's smiling at me, but not a friendly smile. It's the worst smile I've ever seen. It wears people's faces like masks. Why is it that everybody else who's seen it is dead and you're alive? You have it. I'm gonna keep running. I have to face it. What are you? Smile. A curse that sees victims kill themselves in front of another while smiling in a sinister manner, passing the curse along, is the focus of this new horror that more than feels a tad familiar throughout. Dr. Rose Cotter, played by Sosie Bacon, works at a psychiatric ward 
and an encounter with a PhD student who saw her professor take his own life results in the student killing herself in front of Cotter, passing on a bizarre curse that threatens to take Rosa's life in a matter of days. Seeking answers to the madness that starts to unfold, it's a race against time to survive the curse. This is all familiar territory. After all, swap a smile with a VHS and you have Ringu. But the hope going in was that the film would tap well into the psychological horror aspect. But sadly, I found myself quite disappointed by the film, which has an over-reliance on jump scares, which very rarely work on me, especially when they seem to fit the 10-second rule of jumps patterns far too much. And any chance of exploring the twisted mental themes are squandered in order to have a phone ring ridiculously loudly for no reason. In addition, early into the film, I hoped that the final act wouldn't do a particular thing. I won't reveal it here as it would be spoilers, only to be utterly disappointed when it did that exact thing and cheapened what was ramping up to be an interesting finale. Sosie Bacon is really strong as the lead, however, and despite the failings of the film around her, she still kept me caring for her plight. As she starts to believe she's losing her mind, her spiral down is so marvellously played out that it feels so believable and she sells every moment of her fall. In addition, the sound mix layered into the film is reminiscent of the distortions and warp noises that J-horror such as Ringu and Juon are known for. Refreshingly twisted, it unnerves in a way that an orchestral score doesn't. The deaths, when they come, are bloody and twisted also, although whether they were really requiring an 18 rating in the UK is debatable. But for all the positive elements, there's no hiding the fact that we've seen this all before as trope after trope is rolled out and jump scares are hammered home so frequently that even the most sensitive of viewer would become numb to them pretty early on. I I was really interested. In fact, I was going to come and see it yesterday, but as I said, I'm I'm suffering with a a cold and just couldn't muster the energy. But from what you've said, Andy, I I think I'm going to wait now and catch it on on streaming because you know what? Sometimes I I like the idea of horror, how it plays out with an audience because it, it is infectious. But sometimes especially something like this will probably play better at home. Yeah. Uh, next up, after its very limited cinema release, Blonde landed on Netflix. I was so intrigued to see this. And I've got to be honest, I still am. I'm a massive fan of Andrew Dominic. And, and, and interestingly, and I don't like to quote other critics, I thought what Mark Commode said about this, saying that it is in fact, should be classed as a horror film as opposed to a biography. So, um, uh, I'm still interested in it because I know what you're going to say. How'd you get your start? What's tart? In movies. I guess I was discovered. <laughs> I can't face doing another scene with Marilyn Monroe. I know you're supposed to get used to it. I just can't. Marilyn doesn't exist. Marilyn Monroe only exists on the screen. Andrew Dominic's adaptation of Joyce Carol Oates' novel of the same name is a fictionalised account of the life of Marilyn Monroe that focuses on the exploitation and abuse physically, mentally and sexually that Monroe was a victim of through her life. From her mentally unstable mother to the exploitation of the Hollywood machine and particularly the male dominating forces within it, the film buries Norma Jean down below the Marilyn persona 
portraying her on-screen image as a facade to hide and protect the real person away. Unfortunately, the manner in which the film approaches the subject matter actually comes across as just as dehumanising and, and exploitative as the events it tries to cast its eyes upon, with lingering aspects of nudity and abuse somewhat unbalancing the message that the film is actually trying to portray, and instead only adding to the whole issue of how over-sexualised Monroe was to the detriment of any person beneath. Presented in an extremely artistic manner, Dominic certainly knows how to present visually in truly sumptuous ways, with moves from black and white to colour and emulation of some of the more iconic Monroe photos through the years, giving moving picture form here. But at times, this, once more, only serves to further exploit the image of Monroe and cover over the cracks in the message of the tale. Anna Diarmis is a strong lead, and she inhabits the dual presence of Norma Jean and Marilyn to breathless perfection. But she is one shining element in a very dark and overlong film that squanders any potential it had to present something new and insightful about the tragic life of the star, and in the end, only further pushes the sex bomb narrative of Munro. Saying nothing that documentaries haven't already covered in much more insightful and tasteful manners many times before, this is a film that is glossy on the surface and well acted by the lead, but underneath is as corrupt and degrading as the system that it tries to criticise, leaving a bad taste in the mouth by the end of its drawn-out runtime. So, yeah, I'm, I'm still interested. I'm still interested, even despite what you I do think it's one of them, that because it, it's getting very mixed responses out there, I do think it's one of them that you will either love or hate, and I would not dissuade anyone from watching it themselves and making their own opinion up. I would never dissuade anyone from watching anything except for Paul Blart Mall Cops. So, uh, you know, give it a shot yourself. Uh, maybe you'll appreciate it more. For me, it just felt exploitative. And finally, another film that landed on streaming this week. And we, we kind of chuckled when I mentioned this one last week. And that's My Best Friend's Exorcism. Okay. Your friend, she gets sick physically, she got a grotesque and gnarly. But then she got better, right? She looks copacetic, but up here, you can cuckoo for Cocoa Pops. I guess that's one way to put it. Dollars of donuts, it's demonic possession. She needs an exorcism. What was that? Hot damn, we got ourselves a demon! In this post-Stranger Things era, the 80s are really an era that particularly the horror genre loves to tap. And this film not only taps into the nostalgia of the time, but also the high school set scary movies of that era throughout. Abby, played by Elsie Fisher, and Gretchen, Amaya Miller, who many may recognise from her breakout role in War from the Planet of the Apes, where she played Nova, are best friends. The pair are celebrating their last days together before Gretchen's family move away over the summer. However, when the pair go to a lake house party, they join in a Ouija board session and later on stumble into an old creepy house. Over the following days, Gretchen's behaviour begins to change, which leads Abby to soon believe that her friend is possessed. Roping in a member of one of the Lemon Brothers, a group of keep-fit obsessed Christians who love to, well, exercise? Get it? She hopes to free her friend of the possession. This film pulls out all the cliches, but in the right way. Whilst the first act felt a tad mundane, as the film progresses, it picks up well, not only on pacing, but on the wit and knowing references to similar, more serious films. All of this is aided by the lead duo, who have a friendship chemistry that really sells it. Around them, the handful of high school cliches play their parts well, 
but it is the introduction of Christopher Lemon, played by Chris Lowell, which really added a perfect injection of humour and horror when he tries to help with the exorcism. This is a film that sits well on streaming. It doesn't offer anything new, but what it does, it manages in a fun manner, making it worthier of a watch. It won't be one that I'll be revisiting, and it pales in comparison to similar comedy horror entries of recent years, such as the Babysitter films. But the 80s vibe certainly allows for those of us of an age to at least grab a slice of nostalgic joy whilst watching. All right, you, you've, you've impressed me. It, it didn't sound like it should be on a card at all, but I might just put a tick box next to it and consider it for when I get through the other thousands of things that I've still to catch through. <laughs> what else is out there, Andy? What's coming up? So this weekend at the cinemas sees the release of The Lost King. We also see another king, The Woman King. And we also get Amsterdam, which Amsterdam is definitely high on my priorities to see. It's been getting a bit of a slating by critics, but come on, with that cast alone, I need to see this film. Over on Now TV and Sky, we both loved it. Studio 666 lands this week. And also there's another film called The Lodge, which is getting some interest. However, not as much interest as over on Netflix where Mr. Harrigan's Phone, the Stephen King adaptation, lands this week. And also, animated, underwatched feature, Missing Link, lands on Netflix. Get it watched. Do yourself a favour. Amazon have all the Bond films. Yes, every one of the Bond films are going back on there this week, as well as a handful of documentaries looking behind the scenes of the music and the filmmaking. So well worth checking out Amazon this week if you're a Bond fan. And Disney Plus, well, we've mentioned it already. But Werewolf by Night howls at the moon for us this week. Looking forward to that. I wasn't, but I am now. That, folks, that's it for another film file. We're done for this week, and we're going to sign off with our neat things. Stuff that we've enjoyed, whether it be a a film, TV series, a game, a book, you name it. As long as we've had a good time, then we're going to share it. And Andy, what's your neat thing? I like these rhythm games on consoles and computers. You know, the, the things like your guitar heroes, your rock bands, uh, your sing stars, where you have to hit the notes and hit the rhythms and get it all right. So when I was uh, <laughs> when I was made aware last week by one of the people from work of a rhythm game that I complete had completely gone under my radar, I felt I needed to check it out. And that is Trombone Champ. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, thankfully, it doesn't ask me to actually try and play an actual trombone. It's a small independent game that is available through Steam and it costs about £12 and you use your mouse to move up and down the scale and press any button on the keyboard to start blowing as you try to blast out a variety of you know trombone hits like the Star Spangled Banners on there or you've got some Beethoven symphonies on there. There's also also Sprach's Thruster, which it pauses after the... Before you get to the, it pauses for far too long to hilarious effect. But it's also accompanied by some witty animated movements by your virtual character, some crazy background stuff, and a bizarre obsession that the game has with baboons. You have to play it to understand. But as it's loading up each each track that you're going to be playing, there's also a completely nonsense, non-fact about trombones, such as, you know, the person with the world record for the most trombones that they own owns two um, and things like that it's just a fun jokey little game and it expresses everything that i love about indie game developers that they just have fun and take a punt with some bizarre concepts and occasionally they work in such a way this is so much fun if you search online for trombone champ you will find videos of people playing it badly and don't be surprised if sometime over the next week 
I also upload a video to the YouTube channel of me playing it badly because I am enjoying jumping on, playing a couple of tracks and going, yeah, I'm awful at this game and then coming off it again. Well worth checking out. That's Trombone Champ on PC. You can get it through Steam. Okay, my neat thing landed on Disney Plus on the 28th and I've only seen the first episode, but I'm already intrigued. And I'm, I think I'm intrigued more because of its star and it's Jeff Bridges uh, in a series called The Old Man. And he's doing what Liam Neeson seems to do uh, an awful lot of time, but he's doing it so well that he's Jeff Bridges. So the setup is Bridges plays uh, Dan Chase, who is absconded from the CIA, lives off the grid. An assassin arrives and tries to take Chase out. And the old operative learns to ensure that he wants to live. He must now reconcile his past. Um, it reminded me in many ways of a film that that you and I both love, Nobody, about somebody who you wouldn't expect to be uh, an action hero, uh, who can be an action hero. And, and that's what, what made me enjoy this. I love Jeff Bridges. I've, mm. I think I've grown up with Jeff Bridges. I remember him from Thunderbolt and Lightfoot or Bad Company. I, I've seen to, he seems to have been a presence in my life in my movie life from start to finish there has been jeff bridges performances which i've absolutely adored um it's not a fantastically reinventing the wheel kind of a series but it works so well because of him and uh, again a bit like nobody you've got this sort of character who you wouldn't think of as a as a hard man now i'm only one episode in it's finding its feet but it I'm, it's finding its feet so much that i will be back it's directed by Spider-Man's Mark Webb. And so it's got an awful lot of style to it. It's got a great cast, including Amy Brenneman, uh, John Lithgow. And for a first episode, I was in. I think I'll be back for more. Uh, two episodes landed. There's only seven to go. It's a perfect watch. Anything with, with Jeff Bridges in is a perfect watch. And that's my neat thing for this week. And that's it for the show. We'll be back again next week with another show. Anything planned over the uh, next few days, Andy? Uh, all I'm planning is to um, go back on Conan Exiles again and build lots of stuff. I've been building loads of fortresses. I built a river fortress right in the middle of a river, pedestal right up from the like seabed, right the way up. Marvelous towers. I'm I'm a, I'm kind of obsessed with uh, building stuff. I, ca I call Conan Exiles the adult Minecraft because you can play it exactly the same way, and that's all that I'm doing. That's that's all. My life's quite sad when you think about it, but that's that's the only thing that I've got planned. <laughs> I'm gearing up for the Off the Shelf Festival, uh, which is a festival in Sheffield of authors and books and uh, two weeks of some brilliant programming. And I will be presenting on one night an interview as we get a little bit closer. I'll let you know what that is if you want to come down and see me interview somebody about their book, which is going to be music based, not film based. So, Andy, I'll see you again next week. Folks, thanks as ever for joining us. Please pass the word, help build up our listenership and help build up the Film File family. So, thanks, mate. Couldn't do the show without you because you do all the work. <laughs> I couldn't do it without you, otherwise I'd just be talking to myself. <laughs> but, Andy, if you're lost, you're angry, you're in the woods and no one is here to help you. Take care, mate. Take care. Right, it's recording again now. So, uh... Let's have a sense of deja vu, shall we? <laughs> yeah, I'll make it less rambly this time. <laughs> I can't promise anything. I'll make it more rambly. <laughs> and this week, we're going to be talking about 
Toby Hooper's question mark the Poltergeist. The no, that's poltergeist. for later. That, that's for later in the later in the month. That was the week that oh, we didn't have something for. It was Blair Witch this week. Oh, right. oh bugger. I thought it was the wrong stuff. We <laughs> should quickly rewrite my notes. I think it was this week. Oh, I had loads of stuff as well. <laughs> All right. Ballcocks. I I cut so much of my rambling rant out of last week's show. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I must have chopped about nine minutes of me. <laughs> That's why we don't do. It. That's why we don't do it live. I was weighing over <laughs> what bit, what bits, what bits are relevant, what bits are just me going off on a rant. And <laughs> when I when I was doing the, the rock show, I, I, every now and then I'd go off on a rant and uh, or go off on, on and get sidetracked, and then listen back to it and thought, none of this is any good. None of this is of interest to anybody other than me. Romantic movies and horror movies are the best date movies. Yeah, porn isn't. <laughs> which is true which is so true i've seen taxi driver i still have my my kazar script up my art ar- uh, up my ass <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna set my arm and then up my sleeve at the same time and now it's time for this week's deep dive we're going to be talking about poltergeist whether we like it or not <laughs> 